Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics, and ending the stigma through educational discussions. On today's episode, we welcome Jackie Cohen-Roth. Jackie has been in the healthcare and public policy industry for 26 years. In 2017, she launched Cannabis MD, a multimedia platform to support Maryland's nascent medical cannabis industry. Her community quickly grew to a national and now international audience. She is recognized as a pioneer in the East Coast cannabis space. Jackie is driven by her commitment to health and wellness with a strategic focus on medical cannabis with an active commitment to ensuring gender and racial equality in the industry. In 2019, she launched the Cannabis Social Enterprise Teapad and has been an advocate for incorporating cannabis as a viable clinical treatment for decades. She will soon graduate from the University of Maryland's School of Pharmacy with a master's in medical cannabis science and therapeutics. Welcome, Jackie. Hi, I'm so excited to uh, to be here, Gina and Elizabeth. Thank you. And 26 years, I'm not that old. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, girl. So we, we always like to start off hearing about how our guests got involved with plant medicine and just hoping you can tell us your story. Okay, well, let's see. I think it was age 13 was my first introduction <laughs> and uh, set it aside. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it was interesting. Actually, while I was raising my family, um, my kids, three daughters, and um, I referred to it as mommy spices. And I now understand that as I've been studying the science of how and why I was self-medicating. Um, so that is, uh, you know, decades um, experience with plant-based medicine. Um, also, I've had uh, an approach um, forever uh, to a blend of Eastern and Western medicine. And as best that I can do is um, treat myself and, and my family with more holistic remedies. Um, I was hugely uh, influenced by my father, who was a, a physician, but um, I don't know if I'd call him a naturalist. And I, and I often wonder what he would say with the industry that I'm in, because um, my sisters certainly tried to scare it out of me when, <laughs> when I was younger, but it didn't work, obviously. Um, I just want to, um, since you say that about being a mother, uh, I sort of gave it up during the years that I raised my children and I wish mm -hmm. I hadn't, I wish, you know, it just wasn't at play. And mm -hmm. I love hearing that you did that. You got through, mm -hmm. your children are fine. They're grown. Yeah. You know? Everybody survived and we're exactly. here to tell the story. You know, they exactly. may have a different version of it, but as far as I can see, everybody's a highly functioning grown up and a contributing member of society. Well, learning that your your father was an MD is really interesting because I, I when I'm learning more about you know what it is that cannabis MD does, I really want you to be able to take some time if you can to tell our listeners a little bit more about your mission, who it serves, and sure. and did you get into this space because of your family history and and because of what your your father did? Do you feel that that led you into this space now? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Is actually so my. Um, 
Well, with my father, physician was a physician. Um, he's been gone for about five years now. My sister's actually a practicing uh, orthopedist in California. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up with that. Uh, people asking me, are you going to be grow up and be a nurse and help your daddy? And it was, no, I'm going to be a doctor and be a boss. And so that was always uh, the answer. And uh, so I went off to college as a pre-med bio major. And um, I hit organic chemistry, which is the divider for many folks. And at the same time, I was taking um, an international relations class. I mean, it wasn't international relations. I, I try to remember what the course was, but a phenomenal instructor who was a, a professor who ha was a retired diplomat. And um, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed that far more <laughs> than organic chemistry. And um, so um, that professor advised me, uh, suggested that actually I transfer, go back to essentially home, Syracuse University, into the Maxwell School, which is the, I proudly say, the number one school of public policy in the country. And so, um, you know, I transitioned then to um, uh, two undergraduate degrees and a minor, um, policy studies and economics and a minor in international political economies. But I found my way back to the clinical space. Um, you know, it's just, it's an interesting road through life. And um, so I guess it was probably about 2004, um, an opportunity came my way where uh, I was um, primary caregiver and looking for that kind of um, professional life, that work-life balance where I could be accessible for my girls at all times. And um, so that was media, that was publishing. And um, so an opportunity came my way after some work in the industry uh, to launch a physician-focused magazine. And it was just a perfect blend of what I had studied um, also taught in there, I guess I'm, I'm some sort of a um, serial student where while I was raising my kids, I, I wanted to I, uh, pursue uh, architecture for a period of time. And that got to be a bit much while I was raising my kids. <laughs> but in any event, that um, foundations of design um, really lended itself to when I built this mag my magazine and then that led to um, creating uh, marketing strategies and physician education strategies for all the healthcare systems in our region. And um, so then the segue of all that to cannabis, um, while uh, publishing the magazine, at least once a year, we, I would uh, have my team, we would build a, a special section on exploring alternative uh, treatment methods, recognizing, and again, considering the lens through which my, my sister sees things is extremely conservative. So, you know, knowing most likely that the dogs are, you know, at that time, certainly not in favor of medical cannabis, very controversial, but um, it was going to be heading our way to the East Coast. This was, again, um, uh, probably the mid-2000s, uh, probably about 2008 by that point. And I mean, at that point, it had been legalized in a number of the Western states. So, yeah, that was the transition. You know, I can I can go on more, but I'm waiting for another question. <laughs> so I have been fortunate to attend a few of your TPAD events, and I'm hoping that you can tell us about this social equity enterprise, um, why mm -hmm. you launched it, how you launched it, what your goals are, and if you have any upcoming events that we should know about. Yeah, well... Thank you. Yeah. 
Um, TPAD was born out of a number of things. Um, I have been a, 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 an advocate for social justice my entire life. It's, um, I'm Jewish, and it's actually very integral in um, being a Jew. And, and what we have experienced for thousands of years um, and the prejudice. So I was raised with, um, in my experience of prejudice, my grandmother was one of five. Uh, to survive, um, they were called pogroms at that point, um, where, um, you know, whatever pre-version of the Nazis coming in to wipe out the Jews in the village. And um, I grew up with those sorts of stories. And, um, you know, so it's always on my mind. Um, and then in uh, my experience in the early on in the cannabis industry with um, being, uh, having co-founded a, a team of women, um, uh, to pursue a license in Maryland for the second round. And that a pretty awful and trying experience of where we had a phenomenal team and who we had on our team. But when it came time with this, you know, primary barrier to entry uh, in the industry is access to capital. Um, that's part of the story. I was also mentoring uh, and still do um, one of them, um, Camille Jones, she's just a phenomenal young woman. She'd like to be an entrepreneur um, in the industry and the challenges that she had faced. Um, and, um, you know, funny thing is that actually, um, as you know, the after parties are where it's all about, right, in our industry. So I was um, hosting an event with um, Cannabis MD and um an after party and I'd been kicking this kicking this idea around um, for this social enterprise and it was like wait the launch of this and it just happened so quickly could be TPAD um, and where the name TPAD comes from there's just a tremendous synergy and history of uh, cannabis and the, and the foundations of American jazz so I borrowed that name and um, launched this uh, social enterprise which has the mission to break down barriers to entry and advancement in the cannabis industry uh, and empowering access um, uh, via education. So proceeds of TPAD events fund the TPAD scholarship for black entrepreneurship at Morgan State University. And then new is that we are launching um, TPAD grants, recognizing that not everybody uh, is going to be entering the industry with um, well, a secondary education or that's that's their end goal so you know there's so what's exciting to see are all these education opportunities in the industry so um, the next event um, and um, you you've been part of it Elizabeth is uh, live jazz is um, a key element to our event so really excited we're gonna pull this off in the virtual world March 25th at 7 o'clock uh, hosting it on zoom and going to kick it off with um, two uh, jazz artists that are um, based in Baltimore, which uh, Baltimore uh, is the root or uh, is the home of, of TPAD. So I'm really excited about that. And um, one of the musicians is a, a black musician. Um, I just, I can't wait to, to hear her live. So I'd be really excited. She plays a, she plays a sax. Very cool. Yeah. And so you'll, so right now, obviously it's because of COVID, it's difficult for us to gather. Mm -hmm. It's great that you're continuing, 
continuing to do these events and offering them in a Zoom capacity. Because mm-hmm. I feel like you're right. The industry really, the magic does happen at those after parties because so much of this industry mm-hmm. is relationship-based and really you know, getting to know someone a little bit more uh, than just following their posts on social media or getting to right, chit-chat with right. them once a year. This is really like so important. So I'm hoping that things will change that maybe by the summer you'll be able to have in-person events again. Do you think that that's something uh, that you'd like to do within this year if possible? Absolutely. Yeah, actually, I have one penciled in um, with NDC back, Elizabeth. It was the last one at um, uh, Culture Coffee 2 in D.C. Yeah, that was very cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, at that point, I mean, it it's, can be an infused event. And now what's going on with uh, with um, the industry in D.C. So, yeah, we're going to be that is I think it's uh, June 17th. So we're going to be celebrating Juneteenth um, Thursday night. You know, knock on wood, this goes. Yeah. And I want to circle back to on um, the event, March 25th. Um, the focus is on exec- executing your uh, DEI strategy and con- uh, connecting with your community. So, of course, this is all about DEI uh, is the acronym for diversity, equity, and inclusion in the industry. So I have some really phenomenal um, cannabis industry professionals, DEI professionals, who are part of this uh, roundtable discussion. Do you have to be a member of TPAD, or can the general public purchase a ticket to attend? No, yeah. Yeah, the um, the audience is intended to be folks who are interested in being professionals, or particularly for this upcoming one, who are professionals in the industry. Um, the ticket price um, it is twenty five dollars for general admission, and then a forty dollar VIP ticket, which we're really excited about. That those folks will get a swag box uh, post T pad. And so um, we have some great T pad swag now, where our logo is, uh, uh, I've named her Eulalia, if that's that female figure, um, that named her after um, Cap Calloway, uh, mother, uh, Martha Eulalia. And um, so we have some pins, stickers. Um, uh, we have a sponsor who is, uh, oh, we have matches. Um, and then our sponsors, Cureleaf is our presenting sponsor, their swag. Uh, Nada Pemp is going to be including a couple of CBD pre-rolls. Um, we have um, uh, Liberty Cannabis. Um, they're participating, not quite sure what, uh, they're a, a, a sponsor, not quite sure yet. So we're we're figuring all this out. So the uh, hopefully it's all going to be executed well. It'll be fun. Did you say that it can be infused? I mean, I've done some infused things in D.C., but is, is that above board yes. now? Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. If you, you know, and actually in Maryland, I mean, you can, if you are on, um, it's private property and it's up to that owner um, if uh, the event can be infused. So Miss V is all on board with it. Um, at that tea pad uh, in DC, that last one was not infused. Right. I was um, going to say, I, I missed yeah, it. it <laughs> no. <was. laughs> no, 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 no. That one actually, it could have been. But um, um, Atlantic or, uh, Testing Labs was the uh, sponsor, and their insurance would not permit, and you know, fully respect that, would not permit it to be an abuse event. Okay. But, uh, you know, is that folks, again, could have stepped outside. You know, it's uh, D.C. with its kind of crazy regs. Awesome. 
So with the, the teapad events, especially when they're virtual, are there opportunities for the guests to meet one another? Like, is there networking that happens yes. at the event? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to do this. I was looking at a platform that, you know, looks really great, but it was just a bit to take on because I'm also hosting next week an event with can with um, Cannabis MD. So back-to-back events. Um, that one's uh, really excited to uh, speak about that. That's on women's sexual health and, and um, clinical applications of cannabis. Beautiful. But, yeah, um, via Zoom, we are going to have breakout rooms. And um, so we are going to have in each room uh, one of our subject matter experts in that room, and, and folks will be able to get in and out of those rooms. And that exactly well, we're getting this episode um, out soon, so we want to make sure that we get these links on. So all of our listeners, if you're listening and you need to find a way to right. come to these events, just make sure that you visit our blog as well. And we're going to ensure that all the links to all the TPAD events and everything that can't with Cannabis MD is linked on there because these are some really fantastic uh, events. And now you piqued my interest about this women's health event that you're doing. Could you yes. tell us a little bit more this, about this, this yes. cannabis event Absolutely. too? Um, it's, yeah, this is, um, so that's March 18th, uh, Thursday night, 7 to 9 p.m. That's going to be held on uh, Zoom as well. Um, three physicians, all women, um, Dr. Paloma Layfeld, who's very ill health. Um, I know her, I like King, her, big fan. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Janastra Wilson-King, who is uh, board-certified OBGYN, and then Leslie Apgar, uh, who's also based here in Maryland and board-certified OBGYN. And um, so we're going to be talking about um, the clinical applications of uh, cannabis throughout a woman's, um, the, par- the essentially her sexual life uh, from, um, you know, uh, where March is actually endometriosis month, which aligns with women's, uh, international women's month, uh, fibromyalgia, menopause, uh, pregnancy, uh, talk about, um, you know, sexual health. Actually it, um, that's mental health. I mean, there are so many things that are part of uh, a woman's wellness. And so, you know, for example, menopause, you know, there, uh, unfortunately, because of limitations of cannabis being federally legal, that has a, a huge restriction on studies and what we can actually uh, do these um, uh, double blind placebos, uh, FDA approved studies. So, but with um, speaking to example for a woman um, and cannabis use during menopause is, you know, symptoms of menopause being anxiety, depression, pain. Um, sleeplessness, and this is what cannabis supports women with. And of course, granted, I always say uh, cannabis is not a panacea; does not work for everybody. Um, but there are um, definitely um, evidence that it, it is very uh, efficacious in, in treating you know, what the what the ailments that I just said. So cool. Um. So I was going to ask you if there are any mm-hmm. states in particular where you think um, the social equity program is doing a good job. And um, mm-hmm. as a follow on to that, you know, has Maryland gotten any better in your eyes? <laughs> yeah. Well, Maryland was the first state to actually include social justice so with um, HB2, as it was known. So which the second round of licenses. Um, but was it accomplished? No, <laughs> um, not so much. You know, is that 
Um, at that time, uh, Delegate uh, Cheryl Glenn, who led the way and unfortunately is now serving time. Um, but, you know, we wouldn't have an industry without her work in Maryland. So, uh, but she had said, oh, we're not going to have any out-of-state licenses of owners and op operators uh, at our cannabis, uh, Maryland cannabis businesses. And that's not true. Um, it happened. And um, so, as I say, you know, with this um What's the legislation that's proposed now? There's a bill um, in the House and the Senate. They have, um, if it passes, or, you know, a version of, of them together, um, Maryland will lead the way in the country with recognizing um, and including um, these uh, DEI strategies. Um, so who came in after Maryland was um, um, Illinois, and um, but Illinois. So what Illinois has done actually is one of the greatest barriers to entry is access to capital, as I said. So Illinois um, has established a fund that um, uh, supports the social equity applicants on um, giving them access to capital, as well as they have a model in there, um, a business model where a social applicant um uh, sets up shop, so to speak, within an existence, existing license holder. And so whether it's a cultivator, you know, that this uh, social applicant um, will have support on building out a, um, building out a, their business plan, which can be very, very challenging. And these license applications are, are truly um, a great deal of work. Um, and so Illinois has, um, in theory, has set up a, a really great program, Massachusetts, similar things. But it's one thing, you know, as I say, to get these regulations down on paper and to have the legislation um, approve um, the legislation and the regs be put in place, it's another thing to require compliance. Um, you know, theoretically, again, our regulatory bodies require it, but execution is a whole different matter. You know, there's, um, I'm supporting Camille right now, where she has a really unfortunate story of, of uh, being one of three uh, blacks who were fired uh, from a dispensary in Baltimore. Um, she was accused of stealing product, um, an absolute lie. And it's really interesting is that that owner uh, is currently under federal indictment for money laundering and a few other federal offenses. And yet he's making claim that he was a victim. So. Um, I've been supporting Camille and getting the story out. I've been trying. It's been um, really frustrating um, to find an attorney to support this. Um, but yet she has uh, filed a claim that was accepted by the um, EEOC. And the EEOC is going to be moving forward in supporting her. Jackie, it, to me, it's just... I don't understand because like you said, we, we, it was like, there are no MSOs that are going to be in Maryland and they, mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, it's all on paper. And then now we have all these big MSOs who are coming in right. and buying things up and they got around with these management agreements. And um, so how are we going to uphold <laughs> the laws? Right. And, you know, yeah, I mean, that's it is that, um, you know, it's just we have to require compliance. Um, and, you know, there's that big company, Curaleaf in Maryland, who, or I'm sorry, not Curaleaf, Curio, who they are going to essentially set up this franchise model. But it's a sneaky way, I think, to, to build out licenses, get additional licenses. 
Um, I, there's no way for a social applicant, equity applicant, to ever catch up. Um, certainly in Maryland, um, you, you know, there, um, um, you know, the bills both have a, um, they have a social equity uh, startup fund, cannabis education and training, which is, is really critical. As I said, whether it's, you know, building out your business plan or actually, um, you know, how do you operate a processing facility? Um, so, you know, and, and these craft growers where there's, um, you know, they're not going to be that size of these big MSOs. Um, but, um, you know, I don't know, you know, will one of the, um, the uh, minorities lag in generational wealth um, and the cannabis industry is one way um, to establish generational wealth. And can you establish generational wealth via a craft grow? Um, I don't know. You can certainly make a good living if it's successful. But yeah, you know, as far as uh, competing with an MSO, I don't know. We see a lot of news about the Mid-Atlantic region moving forward towards adult use legalization. I'm very proud to say we have a bipartisan bill in my home state of Pennsylvania. That is the first time mm -hmm. ever we've able to see that kind of support. And so with the bills in Maryland, you know, where do you think it's going to be in this session? Do you think there's a chance that adult use legalization will pass in Maryland, especially with just the climate of, you know, the neighboring states and what's happening in the region? Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, Elizabeth and I were, were speaking um, prior to getting on. And I, you know, a month ago, I think we said, we spoke and I said, no. And now I think more likely than not, I, you know, would I, would I put a wager on it? Um, but, you know, you, we've got the pressure of Virginia has legalized and Virginia had the most restrictive cannabis laws in the country. And Governor Ralph Northam, um, who I had an opportunity when I was in the traditional healthcare space, he is such a good man, um, well attended. He's actually a, um, a hospice uh, physician for, for children, pediatric hospice mm. uh, practicing physician. So he knows uh, the impact of what cannabis, how cannabis can can support people. Um, then New Jersey, you know, it took a while for that bill to get off the de governor's desk, but um, and then, as you said, Pennsylvania. So, you know, it's uh, it's closing in on Maryland. I think it would be foolhardy um, and very short-sighted of um, Maryland's uh, legislative body not to pass it this session. I mean, you know, we're hearing a lot about um, COVID is a way with um, the tax revenue coming in and supporting um, relief from COVID with the municipalities. And, and, and also for the municipalities to be aware that because it is legalized in your state, that doesn't mean you have to have it. You know, you, um, a, a, uh, whether it's a medical patient or a, a con recreational consumer can pass through a county on their way to another uh, dispensary. But, um, you know, I've got a friend whose grandson is in uh, Denver. And the school systems are unbelievable there. You know, just what that tax revenue, how it supports the social services in that state. So we um, also need to hear about your uh, master's degree. And congrats, you're graduating this yeah. spring. Um, and so are you the first class to go through this program? 
Yes, Maryland, I call it the, the guinea pig class. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I have uh, I have uh, eight weeks to go, seven weeks to go, so um, cool. and it's just yeah, it's been tremendous. I had uh, actually I um, I decided to apply. It was and I lose track of time between it goes so fast in our industry and COVID. Um, uh, summer twenty nineteen. Um, so I was interviewing Dean Natalie Eddington, who is the dean of uh, University of Mary School of Pharmacy, which um, where this program is housed. And um, I, through this interview, I, I walked out of that and I said, "How do I find the time and money to do this? I mean, this is this is just what it, what an exciting opportunity." Um, so yeah, uh, it's been um, it's been absolutely tremendous. I am just wrapping up one of the courses that I was uh, most excited. Um, you know, not only have we we focused on to science. I mean, I had to go back to not organic chemistry, but I did can you know had to go back and study can uh, chemistry and you know uh, the chemical structures and the molecules of the cannabinoids. Um, but the course right now that I'm wrapping up is federal and state policy, cannabis, uh, cannabis policy and law. And um, so it's been tremendous. I'm proud to say that I got word yesterday that I've been invited to a um, an honors fraternity. I think it's what it's called. But uh, by Kappa Phi, I think it is. So excited to be uh, making it through a pandemic, uh, keeping two startups alive. Being in grad school and graduating with honors. So and then there was something else exciting that you shared with me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, today I received a call from um, uh, uh, Winter Leadership Maryland um, in 2018. And uh, one of my friends and colleagues uh, in that program is a president of a college in Massachusetts. And he called me today to uh, um, offer me the position of uh, developing a program, a cannabis program at that college. So wow. I'm really excited. So that I will be developing. Amazing. Yeah. So I'll have, um, I'll be program director, uh, teach as much as I'd like. But um, what this does is it enables me um, to, and affords me the opportunity to continue with my, say my entrepreneurial hustles. <laughs> so Cannabis, you know, they'll stay alive. Um, I've had, um, I have a project that uh, ongoing, we're just getting it off the ground in Ecuador. Um, so, you know, just uh, say I've been blessed with quite a bit of energy and I, my focus is always use it for greater good than evil. <laughs> well, I've had a lot of love your energy. I mean, you can tell how passionate you are about what you do. And even though I had only yeah. met you really through the digital world up until today, yeah. I can tell you that it shines through that space as well. And I've always just really loved following all of your posts and seeing all the things that you do. And, you know, I just... I feel that you're this really wonderful intersect of, you know, talking about traditional medicine and talking with physicians in this traditional mm -hmm. sense and then opening their minds and hopefully ending those stigmas in a lot of ways by being able to couple that with the knowledge that you have from these new programs. And, you know, mm -hmm. so much of what I hope is that there'll be some just general um, knowledge for physicians that are maybe not so pointed to even get into cannabis down the road, but is there education being taught at medical schools about the endocannabinoid system now? I mean, no. is that, it's still no. not. Okay. I, 
Yeah, I mean, I and, and through COVID, it was a really awesome uh, opportunity is that I presented on the void of um, cannabis science education in medical schools. I w- it was in Thailand, you know, sitting at my desk. and um, But uh, again, 97% of medical schools do not include any education on the endocannabinoid system, cannabis science. Uh, cannabis is um, uh, part of the curriculum when it's addressed for... Um, um, use disorder. So whether it's you know, marijuana use disorder. Um, so um, yeah, it's truly unfortunate. I mean, any clinical program um, does not include, um, well, I can't say any, again, 97% do not. Um, so uh, yeah, and it's, you know, I had a, um, I was speaking with actually the Capstone Project, I'm speaking with nurses, um, nurse practitioners, and um, with the Capstone Project for my graduate program, Canvas MD, I've had the unique opportunity to be both a client and a student where my group, we developed cannabis science education for Maryland-based certified nurse practitioners. And so um, as I was reaching out to some of the leadership of um, nurse practitioners in Maryland, and the point was made is none of us, you know, whether it's a nurse practitioner, an RN, an MD, nobody's gotten this education. Um, most all at this point are self-taught. So, you know, and it's really, and this is where there's the intersection of TPAD and Cannabis MD is where TPAD raises the awareness of the impact of the war on drugs. What the impact of the war on drugs, not only has it decimated lives in uh, families, communities, also clinical education. This is why the war on drugs is not, because of that, uh, cannabis science is not included um, because it is federally illegal. Um, and it actually goes back to um, uh, 1970 under the Gerald Ford administration, where ironically enough, you know, those of us that were um, adults at the, well, was I an adult at the time? No, um, but uh, you know, aware. And um, uh, Betty Ford, you know, his wife who ended up with breast cancer. And of course, she was known for huge addiction issues, ironically enough. But um, in 1970, there was a study, and it might have been UC Berkeley or or Stanford, who had partnered with a uh, research group in Spain. And they were going to publish the outcome of this study on breast cancer and how effective... um, cannabis was in treating breast cancer and Ford shut it down. And then uh, under, in his administration, there could be no um, um, university, you know, anybody, and this is where it comes from, where there's no universities. Well, now they are, but they weren't touching three years ago. Wouldn't go near medical cannabis, period. Um with my program, it was really interesting is that when um, Dean Eddington and um, Dr. Leah Sara, who's director of the program, and they were working on getting um, this uh, master's program off the ground, and they, at that point, it was going to be plant touching, because, you know, how can you teach this without touching the plant? But they managed to. Um, but in any event, uh, they got a call. Actually, the dean got a call from Maryland's attorney general, said, shut this down, or you're going to be arrested for drug trafficking. So then they had to redevelop the program where um, not plant touching. So, you know, those of us who know what the plant looks like in person and smells like and tastes like, I think we've had a a leg up, but I can't imagine going through without that. But now 
We've got um, programs across the country that are um, including cultivation and horticulture and growing hemp. So it's a, you know, it's a really exciting, it's a really incredibly time uh, in history, I think, and um, to witness this. You know, we will be witnessing a legal, federal legalization. You're a part of this first class too. I like, know it's, it's to be a part of the first. I mean, I just really, you know, as a like you're a female leader, you're doing this in, in the first, and you know, to think that these physicians aren't getting this education, and yet you're going back to school, being like, no, give me all the knowledge I possibly right. can, because it's going to take someone like you and your voice to then go and like take all this knowledge and like teach it to all of the physicians and the nurses and everything that needed. And so I, I would love for there to be a time where, you know, we start to see that cannabis is going to be included, but this is why we are fighting for adult use legalization right. folks. It's not just because we want people to recreationally use the plant, no. but everything that Jackie has talked about is set up because of these federal guidelines. We're not allowed to do the research necessary that we know that needs to be done that will help prove a lot of the points of why we care and are so passionate about this plant, but that's why we're fighting for this legalization. I think mm -hmm. a lot of times people get confused as to why we're, we're so passionate about it, but it's because we have to get this changed in order for us to really get to do the research necessary around this plant and to get this to be a part of those uh, programs because we want all physicians to understand going into this, the benefits of the plant. Right. I mean, exactly that. And you think about the, um, you know, it, it is so striking where there's, um, oh, I can't think of her last name, um, Hannah Deacon, who is a mom in the UK, and her son Alfie, you might have heard her story, their story. And uh, so I actually had the opportunity to, to interview her. And the um, children, when they, um, they have that debilitating seizure disorders, and so they're seizuring hundreds of times a day. And not only does it impact that child, of course, it impacts the parents. You, know, you can't have a job. How do you manage a job when you have to you know, be ready to rush your child to an emergency room? That child goes into the emergency room. What they are treated with is a steroids, heavy-duty steroids. What is the impact on a little body of a heavy dose of steroids and continued use and versus um, a plant, right? Or, um, I mean, we can, you know, continue to go down the line of all these diseases and disorders of how this is, again, plant-based medicine. Again, I always say not a panacea, but it does have efficacy in treating some, some pretty significant diseases and disorders. And even, you know, as we go through COVID and the anxiety level um, that people are having. And then I was something on the news this morning, there's, you know, anxiety, where what was it, FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. And now it's, what is it? There's a new F where it's uh, fear of getting back into society. <laughs> and, you know, uh, cannabis is a very efficacious in, in uh, treating anxiety. Well, we want to make sure that everybody that's listening today knows all the ways that they can connect with you and your businesses and projects. So if you wouldn't mind giving mm -hmm. us a couple links or some places where we can send people so that they can learn more and attend your events if they're in the Maryland area. Great. Thank you. Okay. So, um, well, my name, so I spell that out. It's J-A-C-Q-U-I-E. Uh, so it's Cohen Roth. You find me on LinkedIn, um, CannabisMD.com, T-Pad, T-E-A-P-A-D.co. Um, the IG handles, uh, it is uh, cannabis underscore MD, and TPAD is uh, TPAD underscore Baltimore. Again, giving a shout out to our home base. And um, 
the uh, uh, sexual, women's sexual health and medical cannabis. That's uh, March 18th. If this is alive prior to that, and then uh, virtual TPAD is March 25th. And you can also search for us on uh, both of those. Uh, cannabis MD and TPET on Eventbrite. So that's where tickets are uh, being sold via Eventbrite. Well, I definitely can't wait. I love me some jazz. So the tea pad's right on yeah. my alley, but I'm coming. I'm coming down to DC for the awesome. in-person event. Yeah. So I was thinking about, oh my gosh, it'd be a great problem to have. We have to have security. <laughs> Absolutely. So we will definitely be there. We appreciate you. We appreciate all that you do for the community, for the industry as a whole, and for women in general. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, Thank my you. pleasure. This has been this has been such a joy to be part of and to see what you guys are doing. Congratulations on your success and wish you both the best of luck. Thank you again, Jackie Cohen-Roth, for joining us on The Vine, a Plant Media Project podcast. And thanks to all of our listeners for their continued support as we produce educational programming around cannabis and psychedelics. Please subscribe to The Vine on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for plant medicine news, visit us online at plantmediaproject.com. Mm-hmm.